Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, working for Harper's Bazaar or Gourmet Traveller and getting paid for it sounds like the sweetest gig ever for a magazine-loving gal. But how do you get there and what is it truly like working in the world of magazines and media? Cornelia Schiltz has worked for some of the biggest magazine brands in the world and forged an international career, rubbing shoulders with some of the most beautiful and noteworthy people in the world. Cornelia's latest achievement, though, has been purchasing her own magazine, Hunter and Coastal Lifestyle, of which she's co-owner and publisher. And she's here in the podcast studio with me today to share her advice for breaking into the industry and also share her life learnings about people and careers. Hey, Cornelia, I'm going to call you Connie. Please do. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I very much like to go on a bit of a casual basis in the studio. Oh, absolutely. Yay. Thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, pleasure. So when I first met you recently, I was blown away at your career in magazines because I suppose I love magazines and always have you know when I was a teenager it was all about the Dolly magazine and then as I got a bit older it was about the Cosmo and Cleo in the sealed sections <laughs> just love a sealed section of Cosmo and then there was the erotic literature <laughs> I love reading Vanity Fair you know and um, always love to go for a bit of a trashy mag as well but for me It seems as though the world of magazines is such an exciting world of celebrities and media and glamour. Is that what first drew you into wanting to work for magazines? Uh, Actually, I ended up in magazines totally by accident. I was working for IBM and then I was studying in the States and then I came back to Germany and then I was actually selling pharmaceuticals and I wanted to move to a different city in Germany because my then significant other other was living there and a job opened up at a publishing company and I applied and I actually got the job because the guy who made the decision loved that I had studied in the States it had nothing to do with anything else wow and I ended up in a really glamorous corner of the publishing industry we were publishing magazines about trucks and (laughs) uh, company cars and buses and one of the first projects I had to work on which I still have nightmares about to this day we organized a marketing campaign for the 100th anniversary of the first ever truck being manufactured by Mercedes in Stuttgart in Germany and delivered to a company in London (laughs) <laughs> and there you go Tru- <laughs> trucks and cars and we organized a tour with 50 vintage trucks from germany to london and back and i actually had to write about vintage trucks from the 30s which oh. definitely challenged my abilities with you know the pen i can tell you that <laughs> <laughs> i bet i bet and so um how long were you kind of working on those automobile truck <laughs> magazines for That was about, hmm, it seems that I usually stay in a job for about six years. A former colleague of mine said to me, you seem to be getting the six-year itch. So that's about my sort of 
time frame. And that was, I think, about six years on that company. Yeah. Which is pretty good because my understanding is these days it's like two to three years. People stay in a, in a, with a particular company for. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be accelerating. I just always found that, you know, if... If you don't stick it out for a while, how can you really have an impact? And how do you really know whether what you're doing makes sense and, you know, is moving things forward? Yeah, absolutely. So can we fast forward a little bit to maybe some of the glamour (laughs) girly mags and things you may have worked on? Uh, look, when I was uh, when I first came to Australia, I uh, was working across Gourmet Traveller, which was just the best job ever. I mean, talk about, you know, the best food, getting into the best restaurants, into the best hotels. It was just mind-blowing. So was that your job to actually go and visit those different restaurants and hotels and things and <laughs> be trying them out and writing about them? No, actually at the time I was sort of like um, the big shot in the background. I was the publisher slash general manager across the food titles at Bauer Media and at uh, the, the Homes magazines. So I was just the person pointing fingers at people, at the editors who were actually doing the <laughs> magazines and putting them together. But a bit of the glamour always rubs off on those behind the scenes. So that's great. Absolutely. I can imagine. <laughs> and so how did you make your way then from writer to general manager? Uh, Look, I've always loved doing a bit of writing on the side, but in my publishing career, most of the time I was on the commercial slash publishing side of things. Um, And I've always loved getting my hands dirty and, you know, really understanding what was going on. So I've been a little bit all over the place, I guess you could say. And after my business partner, Julie, and I bought Hunter and Coast Lifestyle magazine about two years ago now, that's when I really got into writing, which really pushed me about in, well, out of my comfort zone, really, because as you can tell, I'm not a native speaker and to write in a language that's not your own is interesting. Oh, I bet. So you, you're from Germany? Yeah. Obviously. So did you learn English at school? A, yeah. 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 Okay. But I can imagine, yes, having to write in your, um, <laughs> in another language, that could be tough. Yeah, it's just something where I always keep second guessing, you know, what I'm writing and is it really, you know, good enough? And, you know, so I, I love to really tweak everything to, you know, the best I can be. Yeah. So you're working for Bauer Media, which is a big international media magazine company, and they have like the Harper's Bazaar, the Gourmet Travellers. What are some of the other big labels that they had? Um, So in Australia, they bought what used to be ACP from, you know, or the old Packer publishing empire. There is Australian Women's Weekly. There is Australian House and Garden, Bell Magazine. There is also Harper's Bazaar and Elle Magazine are on license from Hearst, from another publishing company. So they're just the publishers for those in Australia. Uh, Obviously, Cleo and Dolly, which no longer are with us. It's a sad, sad time. Look, it really blew me away because I was at Bauer at the time when both of those were, you know, discontinued. Um, And it just blew me away how beloved those brands are. I don't know how you can be a teenager in Australia and not have Dolly, Cleo. I I don't understand that. Uh, Look, it's, it's really hard to imagine. And, you know, 
Okay, I said earlier, I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there now after all. Um, I was one of the few people in the building in Park Street in Sydney who, you know, was allowed to say the Germans, like the people from Bauer Media in Germany. And I always try to explain to them that, you know, Cleo and Dolly, yes, I haven't grown up with them, but how integral they are to growing up in Australia. Well, do you know what? I learned about orgasms from probably Cleo, not probably not Dolly, <laughs> but from Cleo. You learn about boyfriends, yeah. um, how to talk to boys and Dolly. You know, like it, they really were integral to being a teenage girl and growing up and, um, you know, learning about all those things, becoming like a, a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there is actually a German equivalent to that, which funnily enough is being published by Bauer in Germany. But somehow, you know... I mean, the publishing industry isn't an easy place to be in and you sometimes have to make pretty tough decisions. Oh, especially in this day and age, I can imagine with social media and digital media and all of that, you know, we see locally, our local newspaper here, it looks as though sometimes it's very thin. (laughs) (laughs) So when did you come to Australia and why? What brought you here? (laughs) It's been almost exactly six years now, so I it's it's a bit weird because I feel like still a pretty recent arrival. At the same time, Australia has become home for myself and my husband, definitely. We're not going anywhere, have no intentions whatsoever. Uh, what brought us here? In the end, it was really a phone call. Yeah. I was contacted by a an executive from Bauer Media and he wanted to talk to me and I actually said to, to Frank, to my husband, he's probably going to offer me a job and I don't think I'm interested. And then we spoke on the phone and he's offering me a job more or less at Bauer Media in Australia, which totally got my attention. And I guess the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> and so what were your thoughts when you touched down in Australia? Oh, it was, it was, to be honest, it was a bit weird because I came by myself first because Frank had to wrap up, you know, pretty long notice period in his job. And what really hit it home for me was when I boarded the plane and I didn't have a single key left on my keychain because, well, we had, you know, sold our house. I didn't have a car. There was no office key. There was nothing on that keychain. And that was... I know it sounds weird and it's a it's a minutiae detail, but that's what really drove it home to me that we're moving to the opposite end of the earth and it's going to be a totally new start. Yeah. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. And so when you arrived in Australia, what was your first role here with Bauer? I was the publisher of the what they called the specialist division, which was a pretty broad mix of different titles. And I asked one of the CEOs at the time, so why did you you know, what did you put into that specialist division and and why? And he said, well, it was everything we didn't know where else to put. I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. And it included anything from, as we said, Gourmet Traveller or the Homes magazines, Australian House and Garden, which I utterly loved. Uh, But it also included Australian Geographic, really very, you know, much a beloved um, brand for me. But also I was across magazines like Auto Action or Rugby League Week. Yeah. Or Zoo Magazine. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Zoo Magazine, there you go. Okay, and have you worked since coming to Australia? Have you worked with many Australian celebrities in magazines? (laughs) I don't know whether you would call it work with. I mean, I did meet the most interesting people. And, you know, 
I continue, to be honest, to meet the most interesting people in my work for Hunter and Coastal Lifestyle magazine. But I mean, at first it was a little bit tricky for me because some Australian celebrities I wasn't too familiar with. So, you know, I was at an event pretty early on after coming to Australia. And, you know, I was mingling with people and was, you know, before the official proceedings of the evening were going to commence. And I talked to this lady who was, you know, really super nice and everything. And I asked her, so what do you do for a living? Turns out it was Lisa Wilkinson. (laughs) (laughs) Our most beloved female Australian. We all are. Lisa Wilkinson is a goddess to many an Australian woman. (laughs) So I I really, you know, she totally took it in her stride. She didn't miss a beat. And, you know, she would be very gracious. I imagine she would. She was super gracious about it. So, you know, that was a little bit tricky. I also got to go to the Logies. It was my very first time ever on a red carpet. And I mean, as you can tell, sitting here in my, you know, not finest corporate gear, I'm not much of a fashion chick. (laughs) So to be on the red carpet was a bit of a different experience for me. I actually borrowed stuff left, right and center, to be honest. I love it. Well, at least you had some friends in Australia that you could borrow some clothes from already. Uh, look, absolutely. I borrowed, you know, my earrings from the um, editor of Gourmet Traveller at the time. And, you know, my dress was from someone else. And how did you find the leggies? It was really interesting. Um, <laughs> for one, as I said, I had never walked a red carpet before. It was really funny because we were pretty early on that carpet with, you know, two other of my publisher colleagues from Bauer. And we walked, you know, through all the photographers and everything. And then we made our way up a set of stairs to get into the actual, you know, foyer where it was all going to happen and, you know, everything. And there were a lot of young women there who were obviously waiting for the celebrities to show up. Yes. And we walked towards that set of stairs and you could see that they were not sure whether we would be worth, you know, asking for autographs. And they, you know, you could really see how they were trying to make up their minds, whether they should be greeting us with all the enthusiasm of, you know, 16 or 17 years of age. And we looked at each other and we said, don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that sounds like a bit of a humbling experience, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was it was actually quite quite funny. And I mean when you're in that, you know, space where the logies take place, um, to be honest, it's a very different experience from what you would see on television, in the sense that it starts quite a bit earlier before the cameras start rolling. You do get something to eat, but you better be quick because the food's got to be gone by the time the cameras start rolling. Mm. And if you need a toilet break in between, you have to be back by a certain time or else you can't get back in. Yeah. I I went to the Arias a few years ago. So the Arias are our Australian Mm -hmm. Music Awards, and that was the most surreal experience. So first of all, my hubby and I checked into, we were booked in for the Novotel over at Homebush, Mm -hmm. um, because the arias were being held in um, it was Ace Arena, I think, back then. So we went to book into the Novotel and we were told, sorry, you can't stay here anymore because the Novotel had been booked up with all the celebs and mm-hmm. um, Jessica Malboy was standing there in the foyer <laughs> with lots of paparazzi around. So we had to go and move hotel. They, mm-hmm. I, I organised for us to go somewhere else, which I was like, what the hell? Um, anyway, we may... We, you know, got organized and went over to the Arias for the, and I was, 
I suppose I've only ever seen those, the Aries and awards on TV. Mm-hmm. And it was bizarre that it would be someone on stage talking, doing a presentation, and then it must have obviously been an ad break. And all of a sudden you'd be sitting in darkness just in silence <laughs> waiting for the ad break to actually finish. And then it'd be like, the lights would come back on in the in the stadium again. It'd be like the next part. And then it was just like nothing sitting there. I was just astounded. I'd never experienced anything like that. It was kind of funny. I was in no rush to go back and do it again. But um, oh, but I remember um, watching a lot of the celebrities come and go and I was really surprised that they didn't stay all night. So, for example, Kylie Minogue was going into the ARIA Hall of Fame her and her family and Danny that literally I could see them walk yeah. in, sit down, they were there for half an hour, did the whole wall of fame thing and then they all left again. I was like, oh, wow, they don't, celebrities don't even stay all night. They just come for their part, get on stage <laughs> and leave. It was very interesting. It, it definitely. And when you're at the Logis, you get the sense that it's also a huge sort of job fair. Everybody yes. seems to be, you know, trying to see what the next gig might be. And, you know, there's a lot of networking going on. Yeah. I mean, one of the most hilarious bits I thought was I was there, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago. And um, we were sitting at the table and my neighbor at the table, she had just come back from, you know, a bio break, so to speak. And next award was given to the team at the project from Channel 10 and the whole team went up on stage and there was this one girl part of the team she had this absolutely stunning black ball gown with a huge train it was like amazing right and she had two three people helping her get up on stage and my uh, neighbor at the table she says oh my god I just saw that girl are you allowed to say that on a podcast in the loo? Yeah, you're allowed to say that. That's okay. okay. I say worse than that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, and she said, you know what? I saved her because with her huge train, she came out of the loo and she had a toilet roll caught up in the train of her dress. Imagine what it would have been like if she had marched up on stage with a, you know, toilet paper roll in her train. That probably would have been all over a magazine the next day. <laughs> yeah, that would have been one for Women's Day, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. What would be some of your most memorable moments? Most memorable moments? I mean, what I always utterly loved were the Gourmet Traveller Restaurant Awards. When you would be, you know, with the likes of Neil Perry and Matt Moran and Kali Kwong and all those utterly amazing chefs who, you know, are just such masters in the kitchen. But at the same time, um, there was always such a supportive vibe in the room. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll never forget one year we had the Gourmet Traveller Restaurant Awards and uh, we did it at David Thompson's new place in, in Sydney. And it was a bit of a roller coaster because he was opening the new restaurant with the Gourmet Traveller Awards. And we walked in there a couple of hours early on the day and there were still a few hardhead people around. And, you know, David comes out and he's like, oh my God, if only I had known what I was going to get myself in for, I've only had a few Negronis for breakfast and this better be good. <laughs> oh my goodness. I do love a Negroni. But so do they're, I. They're definitely an end of the night drink for me. Yes, yes. It was a, well, not scary because we knew that his team was going to be amazing, but I think he, uh, at that time or on that day in particular, he just needed something to calm his nerves early in the day. Fair enough. So Connie... Like we just kind of touched on five minutes ago, from an outsider, total outsider, the world of magazines, 
as glamorous as it is, it seems as though it's in a bit of a precarious position, only with the increase of digital mm-hmm. media, that sort of thing. And, I, and you know, I suppose we watched uh, Lisa Messenger launch mm-hmm. her magazine, what well, was Messenger Collective, and then mm-hmm. she had to change the name to Renegade Collective. And when she launched that, you know, we all were like, hallelujah, look at this amazing mm-hmm. magazine. Like it, it was seen, I suppose, for women in in my Mm -hmm. demographic, you know, as a real cutting edge, cool, um, entrepreneurial magazine. We just loved it. And, you know, we heralded her for being somebody who had the guts to start a a magazine. We all became avid subscribers and buyers and everything. And so, you know, it was quite devastating, I guess, obviously for her, but also for all the people that love her magazine you know, when she made the decision to to close, to close it, it yeah. you know, I, I, like I, I can't imagine what she went through making the decision to do that. So it's interesting that you have, <laughs> you bought a magazine under and coastal lifestyle. <laughs> Talk us through that because, again, I, I, it seems like such a ballsy thing to do in this kind of weird time of, you know, changes in publishing and media. And, again, I'm no expert. I'm just a consumer. <laughs> but, you know, we, I suppose we sit here and watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, <laughs> sometimes it is – it was maybe a ballsy move. I didn't think about it that way at the time. What Julie and I saw in it was a magazine that was or is a much beloved icon in the community. And we had always felt and we worked together, you know, on Gourmet and in Bell and, you know, a bunch of other magazines. And we had always felt that despite everything that's being said, magazine publishing is not dead. And that's something that we strongly believe in. And so maybe we were on a mission to prove our point. Why do we believe that it is not dead? Because, well, we feel strongly that reading a magazine is an immersive experience that in this day and age, maybe more so than ever before, people crave, maybe not everyone, maybe younger demographics less so than older ones. But then you've got magazines like Frankie, which very much appeals to a young demographic. So we felt that it's really about the quality of the content that we produce, about the stories that we can tell. And we just want to make sure that we showcase everything that this region has to offer. And there's so much of it. We're never going to run out of stories. At the same time, you know, with all that wide-eyed passion and enthusiasm, we knew that we needed to sharpen our pencils and get, you know, the profit and loss statement to work. But we have both been in publishing for 25 years. So we figured, yes, we can make this work. And you've got the runs on the board because you've, you've, been in running magazines. Absolutely. So it wasn't a new thing for us to do. And the more we looked at it, and initially I had actually pitched Hunter & Co's Lifestyle Magazine when I came across it. I had pitched it to an investor who I had been working with, who had just bought Australian Geographic. And only when he eventually said he was not going to do it for reasons that had nothing to do with the magazine, by that time we had been so far down that path um, and Julie and my own husband, who is a graphic designer, they actually teamed up on me. And in the end, we decided, why not do it ourselves? We can make this work. We believe in this. Yeah. 
And how's it going? So it's been two years now? It's been two years now. Look, there have been a few sleepless nights along the way. It's been an interesting learning curve. But overall, it's been a really, really good experience. I mean, like everybody else, we really didn't need COVID. And, you know, that was really a bit of a bummer. But we managed to keep the publication frequency up. We didn't miss a single issue. And, uh, you know, onwards and upwards. And we're actually now preparing for our 100th issue. Congratulations, that's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. I mean, we can only take credit for, you know, eight and a half of those, you know. Number 100 will be our ninth issue. And most of the kudos go to the founding owners, Phil and Marilyn Collins, who, you know, did such an amazing job putting this magazine on, you know, the radar screen for everyone. And it's a legacy that we love to continue. Well, congratulations, because, you know, as we've been talking about, it's... um, it's a highly competitive uh, industry and and one uh, that's been changing you yeah. know so to to take that on yeah. like that's that's awesome yeah there have been huge changes but then it's really a magazine is about inspiration and me time and that's something i think we all need these days maybe more than ever and it is something where you can tell stories that you need more than 148 characters to tell and I absolutely agree with you. There's nothing I love more than, you know, on a Sunday afternoon to curl up on the lounge and read cover to cover yeah. one of my favourite magazines. It's the ultimate me time. And it's funny, when I was a, a teenager, you know, you seem to have so much more time back then. I had so much more time. So, um, you know, it was I was always reading magazines. And again, they... That's how we kind of learned how to be a teenager and, you know, coming into womanhood. Yeah. But now I go, it, it is a it's a luxury not from buying a magazine, from the actual me time. And there's nothing I love more than, yeah. to, than to do that, get a really great magazine and read it. And that's the thing, right? And it's so, I mean, what really makes us want to do or make every issue, every new issue, the best one we've ever done is all the reader feedback that we get. So we get a lot of questions like, where can I get that dining room table in that, you know, particular home? Or, you know, when we're out and about, and, you know, that's a big part of what we do because, you know, we feel like we're, if anything, the core of what we do is being a connector for the community, helping, you know, create networks and connecting people with each other. So you've got to be out and about a lot. And that's really the fun part, to be honest. Mm. And then, you know, we often hear feedback from people or we get phone calls. And I mean, I'll never forget a lady called me and she asked about the trim size, the format of the magazine, because it had become slightly smaller just before we bought it. And she asked whether that was going to stay that way. And I said, yes, do you not like it? And she said, well, look, I've got every single issue and I'm putting them all out in, you know, my my living room. And I just want to make sure it looks good. So I'm just going to, you know, take the newer ones, put them into a different shelf so it all looks nice and consistent. People are super invested in the magazine. And that's the fun part of it. That's beautiful. But, you know, you want to be able to touch it and feel it. Absolutely. Touch it, feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, you've asked me earlier about, you know, some highlights in my career. Look, one highlight I'll never forget. Uh, It's got nothing to do with a celebrity, but when I was still in Germany working for Bauer, I was the publisher for a kid's magazine called Bussy Bear. Not surprisingly, a bear was the main character and it was for kids in kindergarten age, age three to six. And Bussy Bear was celebrating its 30th birthday. 
and we'd ask the kids to send us drawings, artwork that showed how Bussy Bear was celebrating, you know, his birthday. And one morning I get a call from the reception desk and they're telling me, look, there's 35 kids from the local kindergarten and they want to hand over in person to Bussy Bear the artwork they've created showcasing his birthday party. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Thankfully, we had a costume of Bussy Bear. I grabbed one of our interns and I told him, you've got to get into that costume and you've got to get into it now. Marched him down to the reception desk and the kids handed over, you know, oh. a most beautiful handcrafted it was Bussy Bear's house and he was in there with his dog and he was celebrating it was the most amazing thing and to just see how those kids eyes lit up when they saw Bussy Bear it was just the most amazing thing oh that's beautiful it was just lovely after that particular one that intern was always hiding from me for fear I might put him into the costume again (laughs) (laughs) want to fill your soul with more go to thesisterco.com So, Connie, you've been on an amazing journey in the magazine world. What would be, say, the top three things that you've learned along the way about people or magazines or life? What are some of the key things you've learned? Oh, that's a tough one. Or or wisdom you would like to impart. Wisdom I would like to impart. Well, for one, and this is maybe a bit of a cliche, but do what you love. I love publishing. I love magazines. And to be honest, I don't care whether that is a tricky industry to be in. Do what you love. Somebody once said to me, you want to make a small fortune in publishing, start with a big one. So it's maybe not even the most commercially rewarding, but it's fun. Yeah. So do what you love and pursue that dream. Never give up on it. That's one thing. Another one is Don't let the occasional frustration that is actually inevitable put you down because frustration is something that you will always encounter, but it's what you do with it. That's important. So don't take it personal. Do what you think is best for your own personal well-being, because if you do that, the rest is going to follow. Enjoy it. Just enjoy the ride. That's all I can say. I mean, look, publishing, you made it sound very glamorous. It's not always that glamorous. Do you know why? I think it's because when we see, you know, news pieces or things around magazines or the behind the scenes, it's always like the photo shoot and the model and this and that. So it looks like it's this totally glamorous sort of career. It's not always. And especially photo shoots are actually really hard work. There goes a lot of work in getting it just right. Yeah. Even, and that was, to be honest, one of the favorite bits of, you know, when I was at, at Bauer, um, I was also across the, the books program, the books, the cookbooks for Australian Women's Weekly. And Bauer actually has a whole kitchen studio, photo studio in there. So photographing food is actually quite the challenge. But the good thing is all of those stories about, you know, the food not being edible, don't believe that. It's nonsense. So one of the perks of the job was that you would get to eat the food if you wanted to. That's uh, a good perk. I'd be happy with that one. <laughs> yeah, I always loved it, you know, when desserts were on the menu. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said before. Do you know what? 
just if if you want to do something, just go for it. Love yeah. what you do. Yeah. And look, when I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do job wise, I would have never thought of going into publishing just because it wasn't something that I had even thought of. And I ended in publishing by accident. But once I was in there, I just loved it. So I think another bit might be just try things. You never know what might come of it. Give it a go and see what happens. Yeah. So Connie, how can people find Hunter and Coastal Lifestyle and learn more about you and or how to find you if they want to reach out and contact you? Uh, so we've, uh, we're available in pretty much all news agencies across the Hunter Central Coast, uh, also in Sydney. We're in Harris Farm in Newcastle, um, if that happens to be where you do your grocery shopping. And then, of course, we've got our website, hunterlifestyle.com.au, where you can subscribe. We love our subscribers. We utterly do. And we've got our social channels. And, of course, we've just launched a new initiative, which you might come across on Insta and on Facebook and also on the web. It's called Buy Hunter. Okay, tell us about Buy Hunter. So this one is really exciting and we had been bouncing around that idea basically pretty shortly after we bought the magazine, but maybe we needed a virus to give us a kick in the backside to actually do it. Buy Hunter is an online marketplace for boutique artisan producers in the Hunter Valley and Central Coast regions. So we've we're coming across so many small, amazing businesses as part of our work for Hunter and Coastal Lifestyle magazine. And we can never showcase them all or do them all justice. But we felt that we were in the right place to give them an additional distribution channel marketplace where they could get exposure for what they do. And there's so many talented, creative, passionate people out there. It's just amazing. So we've launched this only a couple of weeks ago. And there's anything from beautifully scented candles from Singleton to jewelry, pieces of art. We've got wonderfully whimsical watercolors from a young woman who's inspired by authentic Australian fauna and flora. She's just awesome. We've got even natural organic pet food. We've got fashion from Gina Irma here in Newcastle. We've got perfume. We've got amazing things. Go have a look. It's the perfect place for you to do your Christmas shopping. Oh, that's wonderful. Good on you. Another initiative. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's just, look, I said earlier, we're, we see ourselves as connecting the community and providing a platform for the community. And that was just another way of doing that. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on Hey Soul Sister and sharing a little bit of insight into the magazine world. If anybody's interested in actually a career in publishing, what's one step they can take to do that? Uh, look, there's always internships available. So just contact some of the magazines or, you know, media organizations that you would love to work with. Just ask a few probing questions when you get an interview. Just make sure that you actually get to do stuff. And that is actually available quite often because publishing being what it is, and there is always a lot of cost-cutting pressure. If you get lucky and you pick the right magazine, you might actually be able to maybe even write a story. At Gourmet Traveller, our interns would often go on to become junior writers and become part of the team. So watch out for that. Don't be afraid. 
but also do make sure that you've got a few samples of the work that you can do, a few writing samples, write for the school newspaper, write for anything you can get your hands on, and then just don't be afraid of the big names, just go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Connie. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, sister. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com. 